1955, director Alfred Hitchcock and star Cary Grant gave the world a frenzied foray into the world of high-end cat burglary. In 2022, we finish out our sampler of coastal scotches. The film is To Catch a Thief. The whiskey is Kleinleash 14-year. And we'll review them both. This is The Film and Whiskey Podcast. Welcome to the Film and Whiskey Podcast, where each week we review a classic movie and a glass of whiskey. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. This week we are looking at the 1955 Alfred Hitchcock classic, To Catch a Thief. Bradley, this was one of the films on your season five list. For those of you who might be new to the podcast, we are picking films off of a list we generated of just like, hey... We've never heard these movies talked about before, and it would be really fun to talk about them. So, Brad, this was one of your selections. What earned this movie a place on your list? Honestly, Bob, this was me thinking through old Cary Grant films that I loved. Uh, I already got Charade on the list, and To Catch a Thief was probably the most prominent of other Cary Grant films I was considering. And so I I just thought to myself, you know what? We need to get it on here. It it has a real-life princess in it. It's got Cary Grant, it's got uh, high-speed car chases, it's got cat burglary, which, you know, nobody's ever heard of until this movie. It, it is, from my childhood, I remember watching this with my dad and thinking it was one of the coolest movies I'd ever seen. And so, I, I honestly have not seen it probably since high school, so it's yeah, it's been a minute, Bob, mm-hmm. but I was really excited to bring it back for the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, like that is the entire reason we did this season five lineup was, hey, I haven't seen this movie in 10 years, but I remember liking it. Let's see if we like it again. Uh, Brad, I think it's so funny, though, the way that things have worked out this season. Uh, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that last year I had kind of challenged myself to watch a movie a day for a year. And I felt short of that, Brad. I have not I've not given my final report. But oh, uh, when so we, what you're saying is that you're a failure. I am. Oh, okay. oh, absolutely a failure. All right. So, I mean, we moved to a new house and I did not watch movies for like a solid month <laughs> as we unpacked. And what, so what did I, that feel like to go from like watching movies every single day to none? Like, was there like a void in your life? Did oh, it feel freeing? Uh, there was there was a there was a void because I like I was using a lot of my recreational time to watch movies and I wasn't like having other recreational activities. It was just like, oh, I have to pack boxes now. So that that really sucked. I was like, man, I'd really rather be watching a movie than packing up, you know, our second bathroom or something. But anyway, so this was one of the movies that I watched last year, and it was a movie I'd watched for the first time. I'd always wanted to see it. Uh, it was like a really huge hole in my Alfred Hitchcock filmography because it came out during what, I, you know, we I guess we could call it kind of his golden era you know, the, the man really never had a non-golden era, but those color pictures that he made for Paramount in the 50s going into the 1960s uh, are probably his most famous movies. The man is coming off of Rear Window in 1954, and he does two movies in 55. This this movie and a movie called The Trouble with Harry. The guy's on a run here. So I really wanted to watch this movie. And I got to say, Brad, when The Wheel of Destiny picked Guardians 2 for me last week. 
you were like, hey, man, I remember not being a huge fan of this. I'm interested to see what I think. The exact same reaction happened for me with this movie. I watched it like, I don't know, six months ago. And I was like, I did not like this movie that much. I I don't know what's going to change. And I'm sorry to report, but I don't know if I'm going to like this movie quite as much as you did, Brad. Well, I mean, you know, it's not a surprise, Bob, that you don't have good taste in movies. I I think Film and Whiskey Nation knows that by now. (laughs) But, uh, you know, let's I think it's worthwhile uh, to dive into this episode. And well, I'm not refusing to do the episode, man. (laughs) I mean, it seems to me like you're ready to give your final score. Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) In fact, I'm not going to give one. I'm just Uh, going to give general impressions and let you. Well. Well, I won't either then. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's necessary that we mention again, this is our second Cary Grant film this year. It's coming after another movie that you picked, Charade. I don't know what your thoughts are in this movie yet, Brad, but I don't think it's unfair to say that Charade is just a better movie in in almost almost every way than this movie. I think that like... Some of Hitchcock's ability to to just provide lush visuals is something Stanley Donnan didn't do as well. So, like, if you if you took Stanley Donnan off of Charade and put him on this movie, I think it'd be an even worse movie than it is. Whereas, like, you put Hitchcock on Charade, it's like he he's, he fits right in. But I think seeing Charade really kind of made me solidify my opinion on this even more. That it's just for me, it's like. If I'm being generous, it's like second tier Hitchcock. And I don't even know if I would consider it second tier. Well, Bob, before we get too far into analysis, I think it's important that we uh, do the universe's favorite segment. And I think we just renamed it, Bob. We did. It's called now. (laughs) It's no longer called Brad Explains. We (laughs) Man, there's a whole line of t-shirts that are just done for now. Oh, that's true. Maybe we need to change it back. But for now, we're calling it Brad Splaining. Because I love it, and I think it's hilarious. <laughs> it's not even that funny of a joke, and I'll, I'm sure it'll wear out soon. But for now, we're calling it Brad Splaining. This is the part of the podcast where Brad breaks down the plot of the film that he has just seen, often for the first time. That's not the case today, which means Brad should be able to give us a nice, coherent, cohesive 60-second uh, analysis. No, 60-second synopsis of this movie. <laughs> I say analysis. Holy cow. (laughs) This is going to be impressive. Brad, can you break this movie down for us in one minute or less? Bob, if this was a coherent movie, I probably could. (laughs) But if I'm being honest, this movie is about Cary Grant being a retired jewel thief. And he there's these two girls that he's interested in. One of them is about 12 years old. The other one is about 18 and they there's somebody stealing jewels from a bunch of rich people and the police think it's him and he's going to prove them wrong by becoming a jewel thief again mm. so yeah that that's the movie <laughs> and he oh and he falls in love with one of the one of the two girls of course, so, of course. obviously yeah i mean as you do as one do, i mean bro it's Cary grant like how how couldn't you fall in love with him so every once in a while a major studio movie is made where it just seems like everyone involved wanted to have a a fun holiday and go on location and like make a movie in Hawaii or make a movie wherever. And this just seems like a movie where Cary Grant and Alfred Hitchcock were like, you know what? Like, let's go make a movie in the French Riviera. And they were like, cool. 
And then, <laughs> yep, on the fly, they wrote this script and went and, and made this movie. That's just the vibe that this gives off. I don't know. Before, I, I don't want to trash this movie because I don't think it's a bad film. Uh, but, Brad, I would like to hear, now that you've seen it, I guess, for the first time since high school, has your opinion changed at all on it? Or, like, what, what are your general impressions of the movie? Bob, this, I, I'm, I, I know I was giving you some, some trash earlier. This is a really rough movie, man. Mm. <laughs> there yeah, is I'm... not much of a plot. No. Uh, th- the the direction in this movie is not good. Like, I, this is the worst Hitchcock film mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Yeah. And I'll I, I tell you what, like, I couldn't tell if it was so much the direction or the editing, but Hitchcock's edit, I don't know if it was his main editor, but like Hitchcock often worked with his wife to edit these movies. And like, you know, the man knows how to edit a movie. So like, I, I can't necessarily say that the editor was bad, but like every scene that should have been more quickly paced was dragged out for like five minutes too long. And then every guardians of the galaxy volume two. (laughs) And then every scene (laughs) that was like, oh, this seems like essential plot stuff would just have like a random fade to black in the middle and they would not finish the scene. And then it would just fade up on a new thing. And I'd yep. be like, what, what happened? Like, was that, was that supposed to be the end? Or did you just like, you know, break for lunch for the day and forget to film the second half of this scene? There were so many instances like, so, so Cary Grant, retired jewel thief, uh, decides to, to get back in the game, to clear his name after he is, uh, assumed to have committed this string of, of robberies. And he's working with a, like an insurance salesman who has black market connections. And what they do is they they generate a list of like the wealthiest people on the Riviera because Cary Grant assumes whoever's really taking these jewels is going to go after these people. And there's this really long extended scene with him and the insurance guy at his villa where they're like eating lunch and talking about <laughs> quiche Lorraine and like yep. buttering their croissants And the dialogue waits for them to like take bites of food and you just like watch them eat for 30 seconds and then they say a line and then they eat for 30 seconds and they say a line and it does not move the plot forward at all. And it lasts for like six minutes and then they cut to a shot of a black cat and then it fades out. And I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking like, (laughs) what the hell? (laughs) What's that for? And then there are, there are like crucial scenes to the movie that they just breeze past. Yeah, man. I, I honestly don't know what to do with this movie out of all the Cary Grant performances. Like he's not bad in this movie, but he just kind of feels like blase Cary Mm -hmm. Grant Mm -hmm. just being like charming, but not even like super convincingly charming the way he is in charade, just kind of like generic movie star number three. Yes. You know, and I'm trying to part. Oh, I'm sorry. Please finish your point. I keep interrupting. No. And like, there's just so many parts of this movie where you're right. It feels like they go to point A to do something, and then they're done with that thing. And so when they're done with that thing, the camera just blacks out and goes to part B, where they're going to do something. And you're you're like you're like yeah sure the part A and B is connected right, but by the time you're like trying to figure out how they're connected, we're on to part C, and yeah. and you're like then you're sure that nothing in part C is connected to A or B. Mm-mm. But by the time you're trying to figure that out, you're already on to part D and. Uh, it just feels like a lot of things happen in this movie and there's there's like a, a thin plot that ties them together. Yeah. Uh, but 
but to to quote our you know friend of show Patrick H. Willems, you know it is beautiful people in beautiful locations doing beautiful things, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work this time. No, and I think not that, not like it does in charade. And I think that's the thing is is like you you have to try to parse out what made it work with charade versus here. And I think the suspense elements of charade work better, but like, you know, the last five, six minutes of this movie are are quite suspenseful and they work really, really well, but this doesn't have like the snappiness. I think that would be the word that I would use of, of the, the dialogue of charade, the, the pacing of charade, like everything just seems to be such a breeze. And you use a word a lot on this podcast, Brad, that, that I don't know that I would use as much as you do, but like the word romp. Charade is a romp like you, it is yeah. it is a fun rollicking ride through wherever the hell they are in that movie. Like in this movie, it's like, hey, we're on the French Riviera. I want to go to the beach today. Come on, Cary Grant. Let's go film a scene on the beach. And like, <laughs> it's just like Cary Grant sunbathing for 30 seconds. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to get up and go in the water now. And then that's the whole scene. And it feels like this movie has 35 minutes of plot and and useful scenes. And then they were like, well, well, we need an hour's worth of other things. And so then they start padding the running time with, you know, Hey, walk with me to this side of my house. And then the camera, like drive across the country. Yeah. (laughs) The camera like pans across the house and watches them walk. And it's just like, this movie was an hour and 36 minutes, I think Brad. And it felt like 3.6 hours of, (laughs) of stuff. It was so long. Yeah, I I don't know exactly what went wrong with this film, but you're right. It it felt like it was a much longer movie than it was, and I I think it's it's just the the issue of the fact that I don't think it's well written. Mm-mm. Like I I think that this is an example of a script that was possibly thrown together last minute or you know maybe there was just multiple edits and they're trying to draw all the different pieces together i i'm not sure exactly what happened but it feels like the script for this movie was so incredibly light that they were just going to rely on Cary Grant and Grace Kelly to you know really carry the film mm-hmm. and I, as you know spectacular as movie stars they both were i don't think they pulled it off this time and here's the thing like i'll i'll say especially for Grace Kelly you can almost feel her trying to like pull your interest back into the movie. She is so electric. And with Hitchcock, you know, everything's about sex and, and every line of dialogue that those two characters share is an innuendo in some way. You know what I mean? Like literally every, every line (laughs) and like her whole character's motivation. I don't remember what movie it was. We were talking about Brad, but I just kind of mentioned how, one of the main characters was just horny all the time. Like Grace Kelly's character (laughs) is just there to be horny and, and have a weird fetish for criminals. Like she's just a rich girl who is bored and like, Hey, I know that I've figured out your secret, Cary Grant. I know that you're an international jewel thief and now I love you and I'm with you till the end of my life. And let's go steal stuff. And, and and we're going to have sex during fireworks. We're going to, we're going to do it a lot. And and that's her character. And it is a very thinly written character. But I will say she does everything she possibly can with that character. She's just absolutely magnetic in this movie, even though I don't really remember any of the particulars of her performance, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, and and that's the issue, right? Like she her performance is incredible. I like I just love her in everything that I see her in. And yet the the script behind it is so ah, poorly written that you just you struggle to remember what exactly it is she's doing, yeah. why she's there. You know, and there's there's so many there's a lot of great moments in this movie. And honestly, I think the reason I was so attracted to this film when I was younger is because there's a lot of really great moments in this film. You know, honestly, the car chase scene through the French countryside is interesting in its own right. You get some really beautiful shots of these coastal towns that that's that's genuinely engaging and interesting when they're in the car uh having their conversation during their picnic like the back and forth between the two of them is you know oh, I'll, I'll steal great. your word bob it's electric yeah right but what does that actually have to do with what's happening in the movie and that's that's the problem is you can ask that question about nearly every scene and the best answer you can get is like well you know he's he's a cat burglar mm-hmm. he's, he's gonna do cat burglar things <laughs> well and i think part of it too is it's such a low stakes movie. Like there, I just never really felt like there were any stakes. Like the worst thing that could have happened is Cary Grant could have gotten sent to prison, which like if that's happening to you in real life, like, it, yes, it's very high stakes. But, you know, when you're thinking about a charade and there's people like randomly turning up dead everywhere and there's this this intrigue element to it. This one felt very much like, yeah, there's a mystery to be solved, but I'm going to take my good old time to solve it. Like, I'm not in a hurry. Whoever is doing these, you know, these robberies is going to be here next week. So, like, let's stop and eat chicken for a while. And well, also, just, it, there's like, no, like, forward momentum to this movie. And also, like, his decision to hang out with, uh, with what's her name? Jessie, I think her name in the movie is. And, and Francie, the mother-daughter, Grace Kelly mm-hmm. and um, Jesse Royce something or other. I don't know what the actress's name is. Yeah, Jesse Royce, uh, Royce Landis. Landis, thank you. You know, the his decision to stay with them is like, doesn't really make any sense. Like, he literally is just like, hey, these people are on the list. I guess I'm going to hang out with them until I can have sex with their daughter <laughs> and and not investigate Anything. any other rich people <laughs> Anything at all. At all. <laughs> so let's talk about Jesse Royce Landis, Landis for a minute as, you know, Grace Kelly's mom, this this Bro. wealthy American. Brad, she is so good. She should have gotten an Oscar for this movie. It's amazing. She's incredible. And and I'm going to compare it not to charade, but like, let's compare this movie for a moment to Rear Window, which came out a year before this. Right. Yeah. I was going to say earlier, I think Grace Kelly is actually better in this movie than she was in Rear Window. But because her character is so memorable in Rear Window, like. You wouldn't think if you had to choose one performance, you would choose Rear Window, even though she's better here. Same goes for Jesse Royce Landis. She plays Cary Grant's mom in North by Northwest. But she's so much better here, even though that ends up being a more that ends up being a more memorable performance in North by Northwest. Like there were moments in this movie where, you know, um, basically Cary Grant comes clean to them about who he really is, that his name is not Burns, but his name is uh, Roby. Roby. And he is this, you know, this cat burglar. And the mom's just sitting there like holding court with Grace Kelly. Like, oh, like your father was a swindler. Why do you think we moved around so much? Father, his name isn't Burns. He's a notorious jewel thief called the cat. And what's he doing here now, Lamb? 
If he already has got the junk, returning to the scene of his crime. Since when is love a crime? His name is Roby, and for my money, he's a real man. Not one of those milksops you generally take up with. Mother, after all. After all, my foot. Why do you think we move so many times? Hmm? Your father was a swindler, dear, but a lovable one. You ask me, this one's a bigger operator on every level. Thank you, madame. Mother, this is why I've had to spend half my life traveling around the world after you. Keep men like this away from you. Well, after this, let me run my own interference. Looks like the blockers are having all the fun. And she's able to do this this bit of acting that seems so out of the norm for 1950s Hollywood that is so naturalistic. And like, I forgot that I was watching a nearly 70 year old movie for a minute there because she was just so, so good. Yeah, the her ability to command the camera when in the same room as Cary Grant and Grace Kelly. I mean, come on, dude, that is that is talent right there. Well, and I'll also say this, like and, you know. make of this what you will in terms of women that I'm attracted to. But like Grace Kelly is a literal princess and is beautiful and is very seductive in this movie. But because her character is so thin, I don't care about her that much. Whereas Jesse Royce Landis's character, who's also flirting with Cary Grant is such a, such a more compelling character and is doing the flirtatiousness so much better then Grace Kelly's doing it that I'm almost like, I kind of want to see Cary Grant end up with her. If that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, the age difference would be so much less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, no, the poor one out for, for Jesse here because she was less than eight years older than Cary Grant and playing his mom in North by Northwest. Yeah, no, I I'm with you, dude. I thought that it genuinely kind of felt like, uh, I don't know if there's like a trope for this, but it kind of feels like the super hot, like high school girl. I don't know. Think about like mean girls, right? As a movie, it feels like the super hot main character girl who doesn't get the guy in the end because she ends up just being really thin and shallow. And Mm. that's kind of how I feel about Grace Kelly. Hmm. And, you know, honestly, her mom feels a little bit like, the friend that's overlooked a little bit, but actually has a depth of quality and character that the main character ought to see. Mm, Now, obviously, the way the script was written, it wouldn't make any sense for Cary Grant to end up with, you know, Jesse. Also, just for the era, you know, your older leading man, 55 and up, has to end with a woman who is like 18 to 22 years old. That's like (laughs) canon. Can't You can't mess with that, Bob. That is unimpeachable. Right. But if they had, I, it would have been a heck of a movie. I agree. All right. So <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> I uh, don't either, man. Let's let's hit pause <laughs> here, Brad, because I, I do want to say, I don't think this is an out and out bad movie. A lot of the listeners of this podcast listen to our episodes before they'll check out a movie. And I have a feeling that not many people are going to go check out To Catch a Thief <laughs> because of what we're saying so far. Please stick with us. We're going to we're going to review this whiskey. We're going to come back and give our thoughts on the movie in its historical context, comparing it to other Hitchcock movies. I'm excited to keep talking about it, even if it sounds like we <laughs> we're just miserable. We're not. Yeah, I, I'm having the time of my life. Yeah, dude. For now, let's just put a leash on this discussion as we go drink some Klein leash. Oh, I like it. All right, let's get to it. <laughs> All 
right, so today we are checking out Kleinleash 14 year. Now, I am going off of some very credible sources in pronouncing it that way. I thought this would be pronounced Kleinelish, but were your sources from the YouTube? They were. They were internet sources <laughs> of people that that were more Scottish than me. So They sound they sounded Scottish. Yeah. So I think we're good. So we're going with Kleinleash. Uh, this is the third in a sample pack that we've been reviewing, which also contained Talisker 10 and Colila, which was called the Coastal Pack. I've really enjoyed these whiskeys, Brad, and I'm excited to get into talking about this Kleinleash here. Last week's was the Talisker 10-year, and it's going to be kind of hard to top that one, I think. That was, you gave it like a 46, I think? 46 and a half. Wow. Yeah. So Kleinleash, uh, <laughs> it's got its work cut out for it today. Yeah, I was going to say, I I just have loved all of these. The Cole Ela was a really beautiful scotch. The Talisker is a bottle I want on my shelf all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, the this Kleinleash better, better uh, stand up to par, Bob. So this is the most aged of the ones in that box. I think the Colila was a 12-year. The Talisker, again, was 10-year. So we're talking 14-year aged single malt scotch. I got to say, though, Brad, when I poured it out, I was I, I kind of did a double take because the nose was so muted. That was the note that I took. Like there just there wasn't a lot going on on the nose here. Uh, and I expected like maybe more oak to come through, maybe more of those butterscotchy notes to come through. It took a while for me to get anything on here. Once it showed itself, it really did. Like there was a lot of English toffee on this for me. It smelled like a Heath bar. And it uh, and then the oak kind of character came through and it almost smelled to me uh, like certain types of bourbon that we've had before. It didn't really smell like a scotch at all. Man, I for me, there's a little bit of that peaty smoke coming through at the start, but it in no way, shape or form overpowered some really like beautiful. I don't know, like almost like a sweet orange, a, a mandarin orange notes that had all sorts of butteriness going on around them. I thought that this this nose wasn't super complex, but what it did, it did well. I I'm I'm loving this pack that you got us, Bob. I want 50 more of them. I'm going to give this nose a 9. Wow, okay. Uh I'm in a very different place than you. I'm going to give this nose a 6 out of 10, which is probably the lowest nosing score I've given Ooh. in a while. Yeah. Shoot, dude. Uh, now, I will say, when it comes to the taste, the note that I took in particular here was sweet and salty, which was really good. It, it almost yeah. tasted not like a salted caramel, but it had that English toffee thing to me where it was like a salty toffee. You're right about the way that the the smoke is on this. It's just like a little wisp on the very end of the palate for me. It was a really pleasant drinking experience. It just wasn't. I don't know, like there wasn't enough there. I I just found myself through this whole tasting going like, okay, I, I see it. I like, I feel it. Just bring out a little bit more there. And, and it never really hit those heights for me. So I'm going to give it a seven and a half on the taste. Uh, bah humbug to you too, Bob. <laughs> uh, for me, I, it was, it was a really strong saline note. That was like the first thing that I, I found on my palate. But it, it paired really nicely with like a kind of a honey orange flavor that I really liked. The, the taste definitely was a little underpowered compared to the nose. So I'm going to come down a little bit, back down to an 8 out of 10. 
But really, from the palate, I, I think the strong point of this whiskey is the finish. For me, it was it was just a little heavier on the smokiness than our last two expressions of scotch. And so you just had this beautiful smoke that kind of curls in and sits at the back of your throat for a while. I really enjoyed this. The, the flavors of orange and vanilla just stuck around. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 on the finish. Wow. Man, yeah, I am just in a very different place on this whiskey than you are. I'm going to give it a 7 on the finish. I took very brief notes. All I said was mouthwatering, mild, and sweet. So uh, uh, clearly this did not make a huge impression. We, we have the bard over here today. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> I did think it was really well balanced. And I think like to the credit of the whiskey, um, it's exactly what it positions itself to be. Like on the nose, it is is pretty mild and nice and sweet. And then on the taste and finish, it's all of those things. So I will give credit where it's due. The balance here is good. Uh, I'll give it a seven and a half on the balance. Uh, I'll, I'll give it an eight and a half on balance. It's really, really nice. It lacks a little bit of punch on the palate that I would be hoping for, but it's still a really well-balanced whiskey. And the the struggle for me is when you hit value here. Yeah. Now, the, Bob, this is sold for $75 in the state of Ohio, which, you know, for a 14-year single malt, is about the right price range. Mo- most other, you know, big name brands you find at that age statement are going to be in the $65 to $95 range. So uh, I think this is a decent price. But for me, drinking this, the Talisker 10 year a week ago, it's kind of jaded my opinion a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is a decent value. Um, I'll give it a seven out of 10. Yeah, I'm not going to give it that. Uh, <laughs> you're right that it is at the correct price point. So I am i don't begrudge it being there. But that also tells me that like I could probably try almost any other 14-year scotch on the shelf uh, and like it better than this. This was just too mild. There wasn't enough going on here on the palate to, to justify. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is like, I anticipate that if I tried everything at this price point, this would come out on the lower end of the spectrum. I just I don't think it's a great whiskey. So I'm only going to give it a four out of 10 on value for what you're getting for your seventy five dollars. It just doesn't deliver for me. Yeah, I think we are going to come out to vastly different places on this, Bob, because I'm I'm above the 40, the 40 point threshold for really good whiskey. Really? Uh, I'm at a 41 out of 50. I'm at a 32 out of 50. So we're coming out to a 36.5 out of 50, which feels weird, I would assume, to both of us. Right. Like you, you really liked it. And I'm thinking like 30, even 36 and a half, I think, is too high for this whiskey. Yeah, I mean, let's let's break it down then. Would you recommend? Um, no, I would not recommend. Ah, uh, I don't know. I recommend trying everything. Like, yeah, give it a shot. But I will. I'm never going to buy a bottle of this. Yeah, I was going to say. Obviously, drink whiskey. <laughs> Just period. Do Just it. Just a blanket statement from us here. Blanket at the podcast. statement from yeah here here the Finland Whiskey Podcast. Drink whiskey. But like beyond that blanket statement, I think it's okay to say, no, I don't recommend this. For me, though, I I am going to recommend Klein Leash. I think it's a really solid 14-year whiskey. Uh, you know, I've had Oban 14 before. 
it's been so long ago that I don't remember it super well, but I'd probably put it in a similar range, if not a little more smoky and peaty than this. So I, I really like this. It's up my alley. Bob, I think what I'm learning from all this, you know, European whiskey between the Welsh stuff that we were drinking early in the season and then the Glenmorangie, and now we're getting these three peated coastal scotches in a row. I love me some scotch, dude. All right. Well, that's what Brad thinks. Let's get back into talking about To Catch a Thief. <laughs> what do you say? This sarcasm. <laughs> well, that's what Brad thinks. <laughs> Let's get back to it, man. All right. That was Klein Leash 14, a whiskey that is objectively good and above a 40 out of 50. That's right. Yeah. There is no doubt in my mind. No debate whatsoever. <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Let's get back into talking about <laughs> To Catch a Thief, Brad. So, you know, we, we both spoke our piece in the first half. What are some redeeming qualities of the movie? Because I don't think this is a an out-and-out out bad movie. I would say that, like, when a director is this good, when, you know, when it's a Hitchcock or a Scorsese or a Spielberg or whoever you want to talk about that releases – uh, commercial films that are also really artistically, you know, have merit to them. And one doesn't quite hit the mark. I think sometimes we judge it a little more harshly. You know, we talked about this a little bit with The Terminal, how it's like, you know, B-grade Spielberg, but anyone else's B-range is, <laughs> it would be like an A+. So even watching this, I'm like, yeah, this has like no script and it it feels like 40 minutes too long, even at 96 minutes. And yet, like, I'm down to watch Hitchcock make anything. So there has to be something there that we can pinpoint and say, yep, still makes it a worthwhile experience. Well, I, I really think that the scene you were talking about when Cary Grant admits that he is the cat thief and, you know, to Jesse and Francie and, you know, Francie's throwing a fit. Mother, throw him out. We need to call the police. We need to do this and that. And she just calmly sits in the bed, like smoking a cigarette and, and is just like, nope, you're an idiot daughter. He's a good man. I can't believe you can't see it. Like that might be the best scene of the movie. And so I, I for me, I know we already talked about it a little bit, but that that scene is what I go back to. I'm like, holy crap, man. Like that is acting right there. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Like, and there are elements of this movie that <laughs> I hate to say it like this, but I think they work because they remind me of other Hitchcock movies that I like better. Like, you know, the 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 last little chase across the roof in this movie is it has the suspense of a rear window um, and it has the running across a roof of a vertigo. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. There are elements where Cary Grant's getting tailed by a guy for a while, like when he's coming off the beach. And the score, the musical score sounds so much like Vertigo. And it it kind of has that kind of uh, slow building, uh, meandering quality to it that I mm -hmm. think in Vertigo it works because it's so much of a mystery that you're like, what the hell's going on here? In this one, it's just like, I, it feels like they're padding the runtime. But again, I'm like, oh, this is Vertigo-esque. And therefore, I like it. Does that make sense? Dude, you know what I just realized? What's if that? If somebody else directed this movie and turned in literally the exact same movie, like not a single thing was changed about it, we would be sitting here saying, this person was trying to imitate Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. And here's scenes like it. And we would list all the things you just said and more. 
But in the end, this is like Hitchcock trying to imitate Hitchcock. Yeah, you know which, what I, mean? I mean, which is kind of an insult, right? I mean, it's like this this very much feels like Hitchcock phoning one in, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it, but yeah. even then, it's like, all right, if this is somebody phoning one in, then like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, no, you're I mean, the goat. Even like the scenes when they're gambling and, and Cary Grant is like trying to pretend like he doesn't know how to gamble and to draw the attention, you know, of the two ladies in the movie. Like there's a certain just like boyish charm to the way he presents himself that you're just like, yep, like it's Cary Grant. He's he's perfect at what he's asked to do in this movie. All right, man. I don't really have much else to say on the matter. Do you? Uh, what What do you think about uh, Daniil? I, I believe is how they pronounce it. I don't know. Who's that? The, <laughs> the, the young girl that ends up being the thief. Oh, yeah. Danielle, right? Um, yeah, Danielle. Yeah, you're right. They, they have the French affectation. I think if you watch movies from the 40s and 50s, there there's always like Hollywood is always trying to introduce a new starlet. And a lot of times they're from Europe. You know, we had this with if you go way back to season one, when we talked about uh, an American in Paris and Leslie Caron making her uh, English language or, you know, American film debut in that movie. She's great in that movie, but she also has this thing where English is clearly her second language. Right. And I think that the girl who's playing Danielle in this movie, very obviously English is her second language. I think a lot of the scenes you can also tell they're like redubbing her voice. And even then. It's kind of hard to understand what she's saying sometimes. I just don't know that that she was even that great of an actress, to be honest, Brad. And that's part of why we we're not even mentioning her name because I I yeah I, I it has slipped my mind this actress's name. Suffice it to say, she did not become like a huge Hollywood megastar. Yeah, and and I think the the reason I bring her up is because her acting performance is so incredibly forgettable in this, and yet I think the one thing about this movie is that like the twist at the end. I, I don't know. I think it got me because of how long and drawn out the movie felt that like the twist at the end actually hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, it was his old buddy that knew him so well. He's the one who was, you know, using his daughter to imitate his bur- burglary style. I, the twist in this movie actually got me. And it, like I said, it might be because I was so bored at that point. And I was ready for the movie to be over. But when you found out that it was, you know, this young girl and her father, I thought that that was a well-written twist. So that is my last positive thing I have to say about this movie. Uh, her name was Brigitte, I guess I'm going to say Aubert, A-U-B-E-R. Right. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. So kudos to her for being in this Hitchcock movie. Good job, I, Brigitte. <laughs> Brad, let's give final scores because I'd like to hear what you think. And part of me... I think there's part of me that wants to score this movie based on what I know to be true about the people behind the camera being masters like Alfred Hitchcock, genius, and even the people in front of the camera, Cary Grant and and Grace Kelly. Great. And so part of me is like, all right, I want to give it like a seven because they're so good that it elevates this movie. But even with them elevating the movie, my enjoyment of this movie is like a four. So I don't know where I'm <laughs> landing right now, if I'm being honest with you. I, I was going to say, for me, I'm not in quite that range. I think I will give it a 7 out of 10. Mm. Like, I think this is still an enjoyable movie. There's a lot of really great moments in the film. 
they don't add up to a good movie overall, but they they add up to some enjoyable parts of a film that I, I think are worthwhile and, and really worth watching. So, yeah, seven out of ten. I'll give it a six just because, you know, uh, it's almost halfway in between the two numbers I gave. So <laughs> that brings us out to a six point five out of ten. I will say, you know, I'm still so grateful I got to see Charade for the first time this season. Uh, that movie has just grown by leaps and bounds in my estimation, just compared to this. Like, if you want to watch yeah. a fun Cary Grant romp, watch Charade. If you want to watch uh, a, f- a fun adventure slash chase movie, watch North by Northwest. If you want to watch a suspense movie, watch Rear Window. And I think, you know, maybe the more the most damning thing I can say about this movie is that even the things that it's good at, I think the stars and the director have better examples of those in their filmographies. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I, I'm with you, man. I, honestly, I'm a little bit disappointed. Obviously, I came into this, you know, thinking that it was like, I don't know, like an eight to a nine out of 10, like a movie that I loved. But I'm, I'm okay with being wrong, Bob. I, I was wrong on this one. It was not great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm still glad we, we got to do it together, you know? The, if nothing that's, else. That's right. We We got to go through this ride together. Bob, this is going to be one of our shortest episodes in a really long time. The funny thing is, I feel like we've been like hemming and hawing so much that it's not <laughs> like if we had just come out at the beginning and been like, yeah, it's a six. Like it would have been really <laughs> short. <laughs> yep. All right, Brad, let's spin the wheel. I have put my movies into the wheel randomizer here. I'm going to click spin. I need you to make some clicking noises for me for our listening pleasure. Clickety clack ding dong. All right. Well, uh, it has landed on, oh, a movie that I, I is much more enjoyable than this one. Uh, the 2014 John Favreau film Chef. I cannot wait to talk. Have you seen Chef before? Bob, I don't even think I've ever heard of the word chef. So here's the funny this- thing about Chef, though. Like, seriously, you know, it was a little independent movie that the director, John Favreau, like, got a bunch of his Hollywood friends to come do cameos in. And... I saw it in the theater and loved it. And, you know, no one saw it. And then it hit Netflix. And then, like, it was one of those movies that I think everyone just found on a lazy day. And I think that there's, like, you'll be surprised how many of our listeners have seen Chef just because it was on Netflix. All right. I'll take your word for it, man. We'll we'll see. A true crowd pleaser. I cannot wait to discuss this movie with you, Brad. Well, I am excited to talk about it with you, Bob. If anybody wants to talk about To Catch a Thief... Which after this episode, I don't don't. know why they would. (laughs) Uh, If you want to come talk about next week's episode, Chef, you can do that on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter accounts, which are found at Film Whiskey. Yeah, or you could join our Discord. We're always looking for new people to join our Discord server. Brad and I are on there all of the time. You can find the link to our Discord in every single one of our show notes. We'll be back next Monday to talk about Chef. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. 